to the art house. We have a wonderful guest with us today, the Jake Fussell. Uh, Jake, do you do you use an X in the middle of your name or not? I, I do sometimes. So but do, people from Columbus tend to just call me Jake Fussell. Can, can should we call you Jake X Fussell? You can. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> Jake grew up in Columbus, is this correct? Can you tell us a little bit about your life, Jake? Uh yeah, I grew up in Columbus. I was born in Columbus. And grew up over on 13th Street behind Winton School in the Winton neighborhood. And um, I went to Winton School, and I went to Richards Middle School, and I went to Columbus High School. And uh, grew up here playing music. Got real interested in music when I was a kid. My parents were both involved in art around town. Your, your parents are famous in town. <laughs> and your sister is Coulter Fussell, the contemporary quilt maker. Your whole family is famous in town. <laughs> I guess they are. Um, we're, we're talking about Fred and Kathy Fussell. 
yeah so I, that's how i got interested in music i was exposed to a lot of music as a kid because my my parents interest in art and music my dad worked at the museum here in town for years as a curator my mom was a high school teacher the whole time i was growing up and um, my dad through his role and as a museum curator and also as a folklorist was part of that was documenting traditional musicians around here in rural areas and um so I got to be exposed to some of that music, which was great as, as a kid. So that's how I got into playing and becoming a big music geek. <laughs> <laughs> so you were surrounded by art and music growing mm-hmm. up. You're, I met your dad at the Columbus Museum when he was the curator there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when I had a show there way back in the day, 1980 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, he was there for many years. And what did your mom teach in, in school? She taught first at Hardaway and then later at Columbus High um, English. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to digress just a little. Your parents were very responsible for not only the Carson McCullough's house uh, here in Columbus and in Nyack, both Carson McCullough's houses, Mm -hmm. but also um, uh, Passaquan. Oh, yeah. Eddie Martin's uh, Sam's home. Yeah, that's a place I grew up going to a lot and have very faint memory of being around St. Ohm a oh. few times um, before he died. I think he died in 86, so I was a little kid. But um, faint but vivid memories of yeah. seeing him. There's there's a great photo of you, I think, visiting out there. I've seen a photo oh, really? of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably a few. <laughs> You're like a yeah. toehead. I always, I can't, you know, I grew up going out there, so I, it's hard for me to imagine not knowing about it but i always wonder what people feel like seeing it for the first time because the i like seeing people's reactions to it but to me it's just such a part of the landscape and such a big part of my memory that i i don't know what it would be like to not know about it but yeah pasaquana has definitely been a big part of my uh, a big part of my childhood and memories here in, in georgia i feel like your your whole family is sort of I don't know if carrying on a tradition is the right way to say it, but they're just so ensconced and in, in, uh, homegrown in terms of the culture that they um, uh, work with, the vernacular they work with, you know, both artistically and just the, the heritage uh, here in Columbus and Southeast and Georgia in general. They took you to uh, other concerts or were there other artists around that influenced you, other musicians that influenced you? Sure, there are lots. I mean, here in Columbus... Well, when I was like 12 or 13, I started playing upright bass in a bluegrass band that played at Country's Barbecue every Friday and Saturday night. Uh, (laughs) So I got to know Robert George, who's no longer with us, but he was a great singer and guitar player, and they played a lot of old-time tunes. And That was a whole circle of bluegrass and old-time musicians that were from around Columbus and Phoenix City. And that was sort of ever evolving cast of character or revolving cast of characters who played in that scene but other important people like i i got to know precious bryant growing up and she was a blues guitarist and singer i'm sure who many people here in town remember she lived out in tobble county uh sort of between tobleton and waverly hall and um Knew her for years, and my parents used to take her around to festivals and things around here. She never drove, so my mom would drive her to shows a lot and even accompanied her a few times to places far away, like in Lugano, Switzerland, for a festival one time. And hmm. So when I was a kid, I, I knew Precious. I mean, my sister really loved Precious and admired her and, of course, loved her music. And then when I got uh, became really interested in playing guitar... When I was about 14, um, I realized I didn't have a better like person to look up to. And, you know, I was really fortunate to have somebody who was from deep within that tradition of blues guitar playing who really knew a lot of old styles and really could play all that stuff beautifully. And so she was never a former a formal teacher of mine or anything, but when I was old enough to drive, I would go out to her place in Tableton, or Tablet County just about every week and bring along a tape recorder and sit there and play with her. And so I, I learned a lot from Precious. I, I wonder, um, 
if uh, we could maybe hear a, a, a piece of music by Precious. Yeah, I'm sure we could. <laughs> Let, I, I think we should do that. <laughs> I woke up this morning, blues all round my bed. I woke up this morning, blues all round my bed. I was eating my breakfast, blues all in my bed. Hey, 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 Back with Jake Fussell, or known nationally and internationally as Jake X Fussell. What's, what does the X stand for? The X stands for Xerxes, which is my real middle name. Um, and I was, of course, Xerxes was a um, Persian king from like 400 BC or something like that. But I wasn't, <laughs> and not a particularly nice one, I don't think. <laughs> he burned Athens or something. But, um, it's very telling when you have a name like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was named after this guy, uh, DX Gordy, who was a potter, uh, who a lot of people probably remember around here, some older people, because he was the potter at Westville back in the 60s, 70s, maybe, well, probably late 60s and 70s. And then he retired from Westville, I think, and still had his own pottery out in Meriwether County. Um, but he was sort of a mentor to my parents. But yeah, his name was Doris Xerxes Gordy. Oh, I didn't it, know that. Yeah, but it's funny, you know, like I, um, not long ago, I, I had an Ancestry.com account. And you can look up all kinds of old weird names just to see like who had certain names when and mm -hmm. when they were popular or whatever. And if you look up Xerxes, I found out that it wasn't all that uncommon of a name like around 1900 in many parts of the Southeast. Wow. And I think in these country schoolhouses, people were reading like Greek histories and stuff. So they would just like pick some of those weird names. And, and, um, so it wasn't unusual to have uh, somebody be named Xerxes, although it's extremely unusual now. Um, so your dad worked with him at West Westville. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they worked together at Westville and he, I think when my, my dad was, was one of the, maybe the, the first or, yeah, one of the first, if not the first, employee of Westville back when Joe Mahan started it around, I want to say like 1967 or something. And um, my dad's job, I guess this is how he got into folklore, was um, finding people who still did traditional crafts and things like that in the area and hiring them to represent 
or to present those skill mm-hmm. sets to the public. So there, because back in those days, there were people in rural areas who still knew things about blacksmithing and pottery. I mean, there's a little bit of that now, but really it's mostly revivalist these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then there were people who had grown up in the uh, agrarian lifestyle that that was necessity. So there were a lot of people who knew about spinning and weaving and making coverlets on a loom and um, building log cabins with mud chinking and all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> so my parents were both, that's how they met. They met at Westville through this um, a pretty well-known material culture folklorist named John Burrison, who's one of the authorities on Southern pottery. But um, they were both interested in that stuff and that's how they, they met. They came out of that sort of, material culture world yeah and i think music was not as big a part of it for my parents back then but later on my dad worked with this guy named george mitchell who made a lot of field recordings around here and particularly of old older blues musicians in the rural areas and so that's how um eventually i drifted into all that for whatever reason i was always more drawn to music Mm-hmm. As a kid, oh, and so did you listen to those growing up, or did you have access to those and hear those? I did because I knew George Mitchell. He lived in Atlanta. He and his wife Kathy, but they we kept in touch with them. And when we'd go to Atlanta, we'd see them, or they would visit down here sometimes. And um, but you know, George grew up in Atlanta. But when he was like a teenager, he made a lot of field recordings of people like Furry Lewis and really these legendary blues musicians who had recorded in the. 20s and 30s and he would as a kid went along in the early 60s and sort of rediscovered a lot of these people and in the late 60s he and his wife Kathy were living here in Columbus George was writing for the Columbus Times you know the black newspaper and uh, would go around on the weekends these rural areas around here and try to find old blues singers and make field recordings of them so that's how they found Precious Brian actually in 1969 and her neighbor is a guy named Jim Bunkley who played, who I never got to meet. He died before I was born, but lots of other great musicians too. Precious's cousins who had a fife and drum band, which is a really old 19th century, but pre-blues tradition. But um, yeah, so I grew up kind of having an awareness of some of that stuff. And then when I got really into that music, I, I was fortunate to know George. So he was glad to, hit me to a lot of that stuff and gave me some of his old recordings, which at the time were out of print, you know, old records and stuff that had been printed in the sixties. And now all of his things have been reissued, um, which is great. So there's more accessible, but is there one or one or two of those that really stick with you that, uh, that influenced you? Maybe we could, maybe we could find one and and, uh, listen to it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a few, but I really love, uh, this one really obscure guy who he recorded named um, Cliff Scott, who was from Marion County, Georgia, who only made a few recordings, but maybe we should play one of those. I think we should. I think <laughs> we should. But let's, let's give a listen to that. It's uh, Would you introduce it for us? It's- yeah, this is called Long Wavy Hair, and this is by Cliff Scott, who was from Drainville, Georgia, in Marion County.
<laughs> that was wonderful. <laughs> okay, so uh, other musical in influences. I mean, these these are early musical influences. Uh, as you developed, how did you like decide that you were going to start doing this as a, a real? I don't know if it's a profession or a life, or I don't know what you call it. But uh, and then and then what influenced you uh, to actually later on? Well, you know, I, this was really the only real interest I had, you know, like I, I grew up listening to other kinds of music too. I listened to whatever was on the radio and I watched MTV a lot as a kid, you know, I was really into other music too. I liked rap growing up and hip hop and, uh, admired a lot of those people, but for whatever reason, this sort of particular avenue of traditional music was always bigger to me. It was, there was always more going on there. It was for me personally, it wasn't just like a, a light interest and in, it wasn't entertainment it was something else it was heavier there's more like weight of the world behind it for me personally i think bob dylan said folk music makes a believer out of you mm. and i agree with that he says that when joan Baez sings about um killing her man with the silver dagger that you believe she's the person who did it you don't think she's inhabiting a character you really believe she's mm. the one and I think that's true. I had like a real, at a certain point, the songs to me were as powerful as anything out there. And that all happened when, as it often does, when you're like a young teenager, you know, like 14, 15, and you begin to see that it's like a, there's a bigger world in there. Um, so I got really into it and just kept on. I didn't really have a choice much. And as far as making a career out of it, I don't really know, like, I'm kind of not really making a career out of it. I mean, you know, you kind of don't make much money playing music, really. But then sometimes you do, you know. It's kind of hit and mm -hmm. miss. And But I didn't really have a choice to follow it or not. I mean, I would still be playing music even if my living was, like, driving a truck or doing drywall or something, mm -hmm. which at times it has been, you know. I've done all kinds of weird, odd jobs and landscaping and stuff like that. But, I, you know, um, I'd, none of that has anything to do with uh, – you know, it's all, I'm always playing music. So, the, so the idea that I could play music and make money is actually just an extra, <laughs> that's even better, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And in these days it's gotten to the point where I can't do much else other than play music because I, I've kind of in more demand now. I've made three records and I've and travel a lot and all that. So it's been, a, it's been a little bit more freeing in that way. I don't, um, I have, um, I have more gigs. Mm-hmm. And you've had, you've had great success with some of the records. I think uh, uh, there was one that was top ten uh, in on what? Oh, the New Yorker, yeah, last yeah. year. The, yeah. or was that last year? Year before I think it last? Was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, my last, my previous record. I have a record that's coming out now. Mm -hmm. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, it's out right now. It's out right now. <laughs> but uh, but I had one that came out a couple of years ago, and um, and. Amanda Petrusich, who's a writer for the New Yorker, music writer and pop culture writer, put it in her top ten records of the year, which is very generous. Um, yeah, that's 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 right up there with Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done. Is that is that the record with Stargirl on it? No, that was my first record. Okay. That came out in 2015. Okay. I, I I love all your records. So oh, thanks. Um, I've I've played a few songs in previous weeks uh, on the show here on Art House, so. Um, yeah, you're you're uh, familiar to our listeners. Oh, good. And um, uh, I I I like it because the way I like the, to sort of fold it into the show is where we fold it in with uh, with older musicians. Um, you know, because I grew up listening to uh, Cousin Al over here. On oh yeah. WRBL and Big Johnny Rib, if I remember correctly. Um, and he would he was on every single morning, and my parents would have it on, and I would go into their bedroom and and listen to all the old country stuff. And, yeah. And uh, so I like to, to sort of mix it in with some Hank Williams and things like that. And sure. It, it, just, it folds in beautifully. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I never heard Cousin Al. That was before my time, but I heard a lot of older folks talk about him. Yeah. Um, what was his theme song was? Oh, your dad knows that. I don't know that. It either. wasn't. I can't remember. It was maybe like Panhandle Rag or it was I one of those. it may have been, actually. Yeah, something I think it was like Panhandle that. Rag. Yeah, one right. of those old slap steel songs. It was really yeah great yeah panhandle rag <laughs> but chad atkins and all that was was definitely yeah. played back then well columbus itself has a great music history i mean not just you know i i know a lot about the 
area's music, but just Columbus proper. I mean, there was Darby and Tarleton were uh, from here, you know, Tom Darby and Jimmy Tarleton, who wrote Columbus Stockade Blues, recorded it in 1927 up in Atlanta for Columbia Records. And then, of course, they recorded a bunch of other songs, too, that aren't as well known. And then Ma Rainey was from here, and um, there was a guy named um, Curly Money, who was a great rockabilly musician who lived here and recorded a bunch of records throughout the 50s. There was a guy named Ben Parsons who ran Tomahawk Records that put out a lot of 45 singles. That was all they did was, you know, it was like a vanity label, I guess, was Mm -hmm. what they would have called it. But Mm -hmm. um, they did all kinds of, he recorded all kinds of gospel records and a lot of great local music, some of which has really become collectible now because because it's real rare. But um, yeah, it's a town that's full. It's got a real musical history here, even despite the fact that people don't tend to think of it as a music town. It really is. It is. Um, you know, we uh, going way back. We have blind blind Tom Wiggins. Oh, that's right. Yeah, blind yeah. Tom, who was of course a, a immensely popular performer in the 19th century. Lots of people talked about him. It was really influential. Um, he was Mark Twain's favorite musician. Yeah. Played in the White House. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you know about uh, Jimmy Spheris. I've been trying to do a little mini Ooh. Jimmy Spheris revival. Here. Man, that is so funny. Well, I can't, you know, he's from Phoenix City. Yeah. But uh, people associate him with L.A. And I really don't know much about his background. I know something about he grew up in like a circus family, yeah. but he lived in Phoenix city or grew up there and then moved out to LA, I think as a young man. And he made some really beautiful records in the seventies. Um, one of those records has kind of become like a cult favorite. I think it might be his first solo album, but um, Isle of view. Isle of view. Yeah. And he's kind of got like a slightly new agey thing going, but it's, there's really interesting um, it's almost like like art rock records or something, but yeah. I really like his. Yeah, I've only recently discovered him, but um, he's great. Phoenix City too, like Freddie Hart, the great country singer, was from there who had um, uh, the song Phoenix City. But his, his biggest hit was uh, Easy Lovin', and then uh, JoJo Benson was from oh, Columbus, sure. great Absolutely. soul singer who Absolutely. All, made all those records with uh, Peggy Scott. Yeah, we um, used to get them to play for our uh, high school uh, really? concerts. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was in the Musketeer Brotherhood, which was a uh, oh, yeah. fr- fraternity. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, we were something, yeah. I mean, <laughs> did the whole hazing and everything. But but we would get uh, Peggy Scott and JoJo Benson to, to play in our Oh, that's so great. Yeah, they were great. Parties. <laughs> yeah, he just died a few years ago, not long ago. But he had a, a club here in town, the F&W Control Tower, which I never went to. I always wanted to go to it. But he was great. There was a... Uh, soul singer from Phoenix City, Ralph Soul Jackson, who was, I think, JoJo's cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's some great music from this from this town. <clears throat> so you you've moved away. I don't know when you moved away, but you've been away for a while. Yeah, I moved away <clears throat> when I was about. I actually went to CSU for a couple of years right out of high school, and then I sort of dropped out and traveled a bunch. So, um, moved to the West Coast for a couple of years. I lived in the Bay Area. And then I moved to Mississippi where I lived for about 10 years and played music there and then got back into school. I did finish school there and then did graduate school there and then uh, moved to Durham, North Carolina about five years ago, which is where I've been for the the past few years. Yeah. And did you, you were involved with something over in Oxford, right? What were you, what did you do over in Oxford Uh, or did you just play? Oxford, Mississippi. Mississippi. Um, yeah, I lived there for 10 years and I, uh, well, I, the last few years I was there, there was a weekly radio show there called Thacker Mountain Radio. That's it, yeah. Which was a live audience radio show and they had a house band and I was the house band leader. So that was a lot of fun actually. You could get to play different songs every week before a live audience and that was a fun excuse to get together and play some stuff that I wouldn't normally play. It's mm-hmm. like, cause you, you know, you have an sort of infinite number of shows <laughs> if you're doing it every week. So you can find something else to entertain yourself with. Or, uh, that I always like that is, is if you have like a residency somewhere or a radio show, you can sort of stretch yourself a little bit. Cause you're like, you don't have much to lose if you have this audience every week. So you can pick something 
different that you wouldn't normally do. Mm-hmm. So I was I like to do covers of funky old songs or weird like some rockabilly songs or maybe a gospel tune or something. I would always play something that I wouldn't necessarily play in my own personal repertoire or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was fun to try mm-hmm. some of this stuff out. And I had lucky to have a band that was really good that could that was hip to all that. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Um, is Thacker Mountain still around? Or? It is, yeah. Yeah, they're a different band now um, since I left, but um, it is still around. And it's yeah. a cool, you know, Oxford's a literary town. That's William Faulkner's hometown. And so um, there's a real literary legacy there. There's a great bookstore in town called Square Books, and oh, that's yeah. who hosts the radio show. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, so it would be in in Square Books' smaller store every week, and, and uh, they would have literary guests come through. Of course, you know when I was living there, there were great writers around, like Tom Franklin is a great novelist, and Barry Hanna was around at the time, also a really great novelist, and people like that. So they would bring their friends through town if they had a new novel coming out to read on the show. So I got to meet a lot of writers. That was really fun. Fantastic. Um, have you heard Jimmy Spheris? version of hank williams i'm so lonesome i could cry no yeah you got to hear that does that actually exist yeah, it does it's on his album ports of the heart is the name of the album which is a little bit later than i love you yeah yeah he only had uh what four albums or something, something like that yeah yeah he had a deal a sony deal i think yeah no he died the night he finished his last album oh no really he was leaving the studio on a motorcycle oh and was no. hit uh at an intersection by a drunk driver jeez um so, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's hear, let's hear that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to listen to Jimmy Spheris. Uh, introduce it again for us. This is Jimmy Spheris from Phoenix city playing Hank Williams. I'm so lonesome. I could cry.
I'm so lonesome. so much i want that to be the theme song of the show yes yeah, so his version is really beautiful so um all right so here we go we're still alive and uh, welcome back we're here with with jake x fussell from columbus georgia phoenix city from the whole chattahoochee valley area and the whole south southeast jake thanks for being with us today yeah thanks for having me you're gonna we're gonna hear some of your music coming up which is really exciting uh um do you have a favorite song people ask me that about my paintings i know it's sort of a a question I'm like, oh, I like everything, but, uh, <laughs> or, I, or I despise everything. Yeah, or the yeah. Other. Um, but do you have a favorite song? A favorite song of like of yours, of, my, of mine. Yeah. Not really. I don't. There's some that stick with me longer. I've noticed that. Right. Like when you play songs, you mm-hmm. some that uh, you can play and you'll play them for a while and then they kind of go away. Well, you were saying that last night. We had a beer last night at a bar, and you said <laughs> last night you said that you don't write them down you don't record them you, and you, then you just they either come or go like they they don't all stick around for you no not always i mean so sometimes i do i'll if i want to remember some riff or something i'm working with i'll pull out my cell phone and record it and make sure i don't forget it but sometimes i'm sort of okay with things going away but as far as my own songs my own repertoire you know i don't write songs or anything i just rehash these old traditional songs and um but I've noticed that some of them stay powerful and mysterious to me after many years of playing them, you know. Um, but I'm always trying to rework them a little bit, and I'm always trying to work on them. That's the great thing about songs, maybe as opposed to paintings, although maybe there's some painters who go back and revisit, but it kind of stays static, doesn't it? Once it gets published, like once it, it's been in a, a magazine or a book or something, it's a little bit harder to go back and make changes to it. It's just sort of strange because it'll be public knowledge that you've done it. Yeah. Otherwise, until that happens, I, I'll change it right up till the last second. Right. Uh, I wonder about that with recording. Like once you've recorded, that's sort of the song that, in it, people's minds. It is in people's minds, but that's also a problem because in a way, the funny thing about recording is it's sort of antithetical to what music is to me. I mean, I think a lot of the real good improvisational jazz people were sort of dealing with that, like Coltrane and Miles Davis. They were sort of that mm-hmm. uh, the idea of recording is sort of the fact that it has to be nailed down in a static sort of time and place or whatever is against the grain of what music is supposed to be, which is a constant sort of changing mm-hmm. thing. So I, whenever I'm playing songs, I'm to me the real song is the one that I'm always working on it's not the recording i really the recording is sort of a secondary to me even though that's unfortunate because that's the way that most people find out about you mm-hmm. it's one thing and um so sometimes songs might change dramatically over the years completely rework the melody and everything so mm. it might be a completely different animal by the, the time and sometimes that can happen in a short amount of time you know it can be like a year later and then you hear it like because i don't ever listen to my records really because once i've done them i'm kind of done with them you know mm-hmm. but then i'll be somewhere and they'll be playing and i'll hear it and go god i do that song completely different now and i didn't <laughs> even realize it you know it wasn't like a conscious thing to change it but you you wind up being drawn to certain aspects of the song and so you elaborate on that or whatever and they can evolve really quickly into something else um but i've noticed that some do for me stick around longer and and remain like interesting to me and some don't some i just sort of drop and don't come back to for a long time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh but as far as those songs go i think um for me one of those would be this song that was on my last record called uh have you ever seen peaches growing on a sweet potato vine one of my favorites <laughs> <laughs> and so that one uh 
I don't really get tired of too much. It's just, it still remains pretty interesting to me. And then uh, I think we I think we definitely need to hear that. Okay. All right. So let, let's give it a listen. <laughs> Have you ever seen peaches growing right. on a sweet potato vine? <laughs> <laughs> Sweet potato pie. 
says I'm growing on a sweet potato pie song I learned from um, a recording made by George Mitchell of this uh, guitarist and singer from Poulan, Georgia named Jimmy Lee Williams. I think I'll be playing for a long time is this one that's on my newest record called the river St. John's. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one, that one seems to stick with me, but yeah, there's some that I agree. I, 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 I heard you play that. I love that song. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so yeah, let, let, let's, let's plan on giving that a listen. Are we ready? Everybody let's, let's give a listen to the, the river St. John's. Jake X. Fussell.
Let's have, I have a question. Mm-hmm. How how many of your songs are like original, original, and how many are are adaptations? Is that the word? I don't know how you how you. Yeah. So I I mean I don't write songs at all. <laughs> um, I never have. I, I I've never been drawn to it. There are people who are really great at it and are lyricists and composers and arrangers and. Uh, I admire those people greatly. Like I have friends who are really great songwriters. I think, how in the world do they do that? But it's just something, for whatever reason, like early on for me, it was always, I started off just trying to emulate a lot of these older musicians and impersonate their styles and try to play like them. And then through that, kind of began to develop my own style and or my own approach to the songs. And then I realized that that was the more I could draw that out, the more interesting it was. Um, Mm -hmm. Because in this world of traditional music, you have a lot of people who are real hardcore revivalists, you know, who might even dress like it's the 1920s or something. And like, I've known a lot of people do that or play a fiddle tune really faithfully note for note, the way that it was recorded by uh, fiddling John Carson in 1923 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said for that. Um, I've done it, but, uh, the more I started playing music, the more I realized it was more immediate and interesting to me to try to draw out whatever um, attracted me to it in the first place. Like there has to be some kind of emotional pull there for me instead of being faithful to a historical artifact, probably for the same reason we were just talking about, which has to do with recording. And um, well, But it, it seems to me that, I mean, that's what keeps music alive. I mean, if it, if it's going to be, just one thing etched in stone that never changes, then, you know, it's sort of like uh, having a, a fixed um, belief in, in the Bible or a fixed belief in the Constitution or something, you know. It's like, no, as things change, uh, the way it's interpreted and reinterpreted must change for it to stay alive. Sure, uh, yeah. Not that we don't honor the original thing, but we, you know, you have to make adjustments as you go. And so the great thing about... Um, about music uh, that you're interpreting and in- inhabiting is that you know you're you're bringing bringing it alive alive anew. For me, I figure as long as it can stay interesting to me, it will be interesting to somebody else. And if mm. I lose interest in it, then I figure it's not going to be interesting to anybody <laughs> else. I don't play it. That's kind of always been the criteria. And if I keep that the main criteria, then that's I think that's okay. I guess that works, but. Totally. Um, I don't know. It's I don't. So as far as arranging goes, I don't. I don't. I guess I arrange these songs. I do kind of mess with the melodies or the rhythms sometimes that weren't aren't real faithful to the original. And um, some people might think that's taking too much license because there is sort of like a sacred aspect with some of the uh, older recordings. And I do try to like. I don't just like break all the rules or whatever, because I do feel like there are some structural things that need to be like acknowledged and held up. Like, um, I wouldn't just take like any old time, like fiddle tune or something and just like put like a synthesizer on top of it, even though to do that might be pretty interesting. And there are people who do that kind of thing. Um, but it's not as simple as just like mashing up unexpected elements into a big, gumbo pot or whatever (laughs) um for me it's like i have to be attracted to some element of it on a deep emotional kind of level or it's more intuitive so if i can draw something out like that that's some aspect out of it or something that's interesting to me then that's the thing that keeps it going so that's kind of how i work with the rearranging or adapting these old songs or whatever you might call it well, I think it's about level of care. I think, you know, I, f- I feel like it, in these days, it's easy for people to become apathetic. It, every, I think just it, we almost become more apathetic just by all the circumstances socially and um, culturally. And I think that a, a level of care that's taken in something, uh, you know, that's uh, reimagining uh, something that preexists um, really... It, it, there's something extremely reassuring about it and comforting about it. And, and it makes the, we need care. We need, we all need to care more. And I'm not talking about just like caring about our own causes or our own siloed beliefs, but caring for one another and caring about traditions and caring about 
uh, you know, bringing uh, creativity and culture uh, alive. It's a, a, a caring as a, a conscious decision that we make that sort of competes with the chaos or the apathy that uh, yeah. is ever-growing. That's one of the things that I like about radio is that it's accessible. Yeah. You can listen to it for free as long as you have a device. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a nice thing. Great thing, radio. We're lucky to be here. Yeah. <laughs> But I wanted to just, uh, I wanted to, as, we, as we're starting to wrap up, we need to wrap up here pretty soon here. But as we start to wrap up, I just wanted to say there's a Robertson Davies quote that, I always, that I've always liked, and it's uh, from the Cornish Trilogy. Have you read the Cornish Trilogy? I haven't. recommend it. Yeah, yeah. That's a, there's, there's three of them. Uh, that's why it's a trilogy. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a great book. And, uh, but one of the things that the quotes that I came away with uh, from it is, um, let your root feed your crown, let your root feed your crown. And I think the gist of that is like basically that everything that you came from, you know, the, your roots that are down in the ground, the things that give you nutrition and that where you soak up your water, let it come through the trunk of the body of yourself and wind up being like the foliage or the leaves or the flowering that you present to the world. So you let your root feed your crown. And I think that with your work, you, you very much stay uh, truthful to that adage to let your root feed your crown because you what you bring out into the world is very much from whence you came yeah that makes sense to me and um i like that a lot it uh i don't know how much choice i had <laughs> well that's the thing i think we do have choices and often we don't embrace those choices oh really yeah, yeah. i think you're well, i guess you're right especially uh, a southerner sometimes everybody just runs off and says oh man get the <laughs> Back out of there. Yeah. Well, sometimes you run off and come back, though, don't you? We do sometimes. <laughs> sometimes we do. We sort of embrace it and say, okay, yep. this is what I'm made of. <laughs> and make the best out of it. I saw a t-shirt last night, actually, that said, uh, uh, believe in a better South. There's something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. Have you seen that t-shirt? Yeah. Believe in a better South. So I think we're we're all trying to do our part to, to uh, help that belief. Grow. Yeah, I think Columbus is definitely working on it. Yeah, I think so too. And in, uh, in, in light of that, we can uh, talk about more about what we talked about in the bar last night, which was changing the name of Columbus. <laughs> what do you think? We woke <laughs> we, Or Weracoba. We, is We woke really the, the Indian that name? That was the origi original, I Weka. think it was a Muscogee name since, or a Creek name. Of, since, you know, since the whole purpose of Art House Radio is to help us wake up. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because we... We're in sleepy town. <laughs> the whole purpose is to wake up and we try to wake people up gently. Um, then I think we woke us would be perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, other other titles or names that were floated around last night were Magnolia, which is a pretty name for a town. The Sweet Life. Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Magnolia Falls was one. I think your dad came up with that. Uh, anything else? I don't know. River Park. That sounds a little corporate. It does sound a little bit corporate. Yeah. There was Columbus had some other names after we woke up, I think, before and pre-Columbus. I can't remember what they were. Though. I'd like to know that. Yeah, maybe we need to go back to some of those because at some point we're probably just for so that we don't wind up being called an Indigenous Peoples Town. Right. Sure. We probably just need to change it to something. Yeah. Something um, else. So it'll well, be like the baseball team that's changed like, through the years. Yeah. I remember be. the Mudcats, and I remember the Ash. Columbus Astros, wasn't that a thing? And then we were the Yankees before that, believe it or not. Oh, really? The Columbus yeah, Yankees? We were the, yeah, we were the Columbus Yankees. Then we were the Columbus White Sox, because I was the bat boy for the Columbus White Sox. Oh, wow. So that's pre-Mudcats. And Astros, yeah. Astros, and then Mudcats, and then it was the Red Sticks, and then it was yeah, the South Georgia Waves. I didn't even know that one. Yeah. No. There's reasons for change, and <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's for the best. Yep. All right. Things don't stay fixed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh I want to thank uh, Yvonne for being our engineer today. Yvonne, yes, thank, thank you. thank you, Yvonne. And uh, Jake, thanks for being with us today. It was a lot of fun. We uh, love your music and uh, wishing you the best, and good luck with the new album. Thanks so much. Should we call them an album? Yeah, album. Yeah, good luck with the new album. What's the title one more time? This is called Out of Sight, this recent one. Love it. Okay, thanks for being here. All righty. All right, uh, peace out. Love and light, y'all.